Our faith influences our everyday life, and that is why theology matters. It's important we know what it is we believe and why we believe it. Join me, Cass, as we talk about theology and how it impacts our everyday life. We'll discuss cultural societal norms and taboo topics, all in light of biblical truths and standing firm in Christ. This is Her Theology. Hello and welcome to Her Theology. I am your host Cass and thank you for joining me. For you, for those that are new, we are a podcast. I say we, I am. Her Theology is a podcast that is addressing real life issues, societal topics and theology. And we, my, my goal is to test all things against scripture and to just seek God's direction on everything we do. And so that means sometimes talking about tricky topics like today's topic, which is um, addressing the issue of abortion. And the reason why I'm addressing this today and why it's a bit of a last minute episode is that we are in a current climate where Roe versus Wade, the law in the US Supreme Court, is potentially being overturned and it is causing quite the kerfuffle in the US. There's a lot of violence now breaking out. Uh, it's quite a political debate uh, and 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 rightly so. It's very emotional uh and it has people passionate on both sides. And that naturally is going to have a ripple effect into Australia. And so I posted on Instagram and asked you, our beautiful listeners, what you thought about it. So um, I asked if you were aware of what was happening and 78% of you said that you were aware. And when I then asked the next question, do you feel like you are confident or equipped to be able to join in on the conversation? 71% of you said, no, you're not, which was a little bit higher than I was expecting. I knew there's always going to be someone that, um, a few of us that don't really like getting into these sort of debates, understandably. Like I said, it is quite emotional. But uh, it does highlight that there is a need here for the church to understand more how to um, voice your concerns, how to come at it from a biblical perspective, but also in a way that's respectful and graceful. And so I wanted to address that in a top in an episode today. And so I actually asked you all as the final question, do you want an episode on this? And that was a 100% yes. So here it is. Here is the episode. Uh, so before I even get stuck in though, I really want to warn, I don't want to do a bit of a trigger warning. So this episode is discussing abortion. And the reality is, according to Family Planning in Australia, which is a pro-choice organisation, Um, they estimate that one in four women in Australia will have an abortion in their lifetime. And so the reality is that many of you listening may have experienced an abortion. And I'm aware due to the work that I do with an organisation that works with women that have unplanned pregnancies, that many women struggle with grief and trauma post an abortion and that may be the case for some of you listening. Now, some of you listening may have worked through healing and restoration and and you feel okay to be able to talk about this sort of thing. But for many of you, that may not be where you're at. So I just want to let you know that, yes, I'm going to talk talk about some of the tricky aspects of abortion today and it may trigger you. And if you're someone that's really struggling still with that or um, feels like there's still some work that needs to be done there, I just want you to know that you're really, you're not alone, um, that... 
Christ sees the heart and that there is mercy and grace and love in abundance for you and there is so much support out there for you. So there are several organisations. I will link one or two in our episode notes. Diamond Women is an organisation that offers online counselling for free for those that have been through an abortion and need to just process that and work through that. Um, And then there'll be obviously other Christian organisations. So Diamond Women isn't a Christian organisation, but there are other organisations that are Christian um, that will be able to work through that as well. So just before we get into this episode, if that is you, I really want you to know that um, there is support out there. And if you feel like this conversation may trigger things in you, maybe don't listen, maybe have, just stop for a second, pray and just think, is this the right time to maybe listen to this conversation? Or maybe should I just tune off and revisit this later on when I feel like I can? And so that, and that is perfectly okay. Um, for the rest of you that are deciding to listen, um, I want you also to consider that this topic is quite emotional and it's it's a very hot debate and so I think regardless of where you sit whether you're pro-choice or pro-life we need to come and agree that um, we are brothers and sisters in the faith that uh, we may see not eye to eye but we need to be still respectful in the way that we communicate our points and now that doesn't mean we don't we don't have to waver on truth and it doesn't mean Sometimes speaking truth will hurt, even if we say it in the nicest way possible. But I think as long as our intentions and our language is laced with grace and we're trying to be as considerate of others, then that's that's a great starting point. Um, I also want to highlight before we get stuck in what abortion isn't, which sounds a little bit weird, but there has been some arguments that have come up recently surrounding abortion on things like ectopic pregnancy or uh, medical complications that arise during pregnancy that result in a preterm delivery where the baby did not survive. Um, That is not abortion. There is complications that arise during pregnancy sometimes for some women. And and I just want to highlight before I even give two examples of this, I am so deeply sorry for any woman that has had to go through that. Oh gosh, I'm going to try and not cry through this episode um, because I don't know what that's like. And I can only imagine the heartache and the heartbreak of having to make tough decisions, particularly when it pertains to saving a mother's life or a baby's life. I have no idea what it is like to sit and to stand in your feet. But what I do know is that that is not abortion. And, and I know some people can be quiffed um, quick to point the finger, but please know that that is not our place. Our place is to come alongside couples that are going through this or women that are going through this and to love them and support them when they face some of the most difficult situations or decisions in their life. And so I want to highlight just two kind of examples of what that is. So if you're someone that has kind of considered medical complications as an abortion before, um, and I know this is a case-by-case situation, but I'm, I'm going to try and give you just two examples so that you've got a little bit more understanding and grace. So uh, like I said, I mentioned before, an ectopic pre- pregnancy is when a pre-born baby is implanted in the fallopian tube. And so it's actually devastating when that happens. It's not a common con- not a common problem, but it does happen. I've known a handful of women that have personally experienced this, and it's devastating because 
it is not viable for that baby to continue surviving. That that that, that preborn little individual will unfortunately die. And if it's not addressed quick enough, it can be incredibly dangerous for the woman, for the mother, um, even life-threatening. So the medical process for this is always to save the woman. So, and, and like I said before, unless you've been in that situation, you won't fully grasp or understand how difficult that is. But our role is not to pass judgment. Our role is to come alongside those women and to support and love them. Another example could be um, maybe a mother that has... Um, found out she has cancer or potentially is going through the cancer pro, um, a can- is currently struggling with cancer sorry or and is needing chemo chemo can result in miscarriage often it will um, the purpose of chemo is not to kill the child though that's that's it's not it's not an abortion measure chemo was never created to kill a, a, a destroy life it was actually to save the mother's life in this situation and so, unfortunately a side effect to that decision may be that the that the child doesn't survive and so again that's just another really um uncomfortable and I I guess a position that many of us hope we never go through um, but that some women do face and so there are a variety of medical issues that happen throughout a pregnancy whether it be to save the mother's life or to save the child's life and and in the end ultimately it's going to come down to the couple and their decision as to their priority, whether it be the baby they try and save or whether it be the mother. But again, like I said, um, it's a case-by-case ca- case case situation and our job is not, as Christians, to come alongside and judge and say they aborted their baby. That's It is not abortion. It is clearly um, something different and I just wanted to really air that early on while I could because I would hate to think anyone listening to this episode um, that has been through a situation or knows someone that's been through a situation like that thinks I am referring as abortion to that because that would not be the case. Um, so, like I said, uh, this is an emotional topic and I'm saying that, hoping I don't cry during this episode and I do apologise if I do. Um, and that's because I have stood alongside and journeyed with women that have been in unplanned pregnancies some of which have decided to keep their children and some of which have decided to abort their children. The process is really tricky. It is not clear cut. Um, The decision can be really difficult for lots of women. And I actually have found that majority of the time, the women are feeling very coerced, potentially in life-threatening situations or um, lack any real support or community. So you can have a deep conviction of pro-life or pro-choice, but I really want to highlight in this episode that we still need to actually consider both parties involved, the mother and the baby. Um, It's not enough to be just pro-choice and then not um, be passionate about rallying and coming alongside the women to support them through an unplanned pregnancy. And I don't think we ever should be saying Let's just focus on the woman and totally disregard the human life that is within her. So we need to do both and balance both beautifully and respectfully. And so in this episode, I'm going to cover a variety of things. I'm going to try and be concise. There is no guest, as you've probably guessed by now. (laughs) It's just me talking, which is a new thing for me. Uh, So, But there is a lot to discuss. And so I'm going to address a few key points um, in this episode. So number one, why it's important that we discuss this topic Number two, what does the Bible have to say about it? Why, like, where do I personally 
um, stand on this and, and how the Bible reflects that for me personally. What is Roe versus Wade? What are the Australian laws around abortion? The arguments for and against. So I'm going to list um, a few of the common pro-choice arguments for abortion and I'm going to deliver to you my responses or how I would kind of um, push back on those points. And then I'm also going to talk about some other little points to um, consider and some resources. Now, as I go through this episode, I am going to um, discuss a variety of like different research and data that's available. Everything's going to be linked in my episode notes. So as I'm going through this and mentioning different um, websites or resources or uh, organizations or anything I anything I mention around data and stats as well, I'm going to link every single thing in the episode notes. So it's going to be a long one for episode notes for you, but it is going to all be there. So um, like I said, I don't want to leave you ill-equipped. I want to give you the resources to be able to go and do further study um, and and do your own research to know how you can stand for this issue. Okay, so number one, why do we need to address this issue? A lot of this is going to be fleshed out as we continue on in this episode, but we're going to address this issue because it's a hot topic right now, but I think it is it is a topic that pertains to life itself. And as Christians, we rally, we um, support individual human life. We should be um, placing value on all individuals, and we should be standing up against human injustice. And so, this topic involves all those things: um, everything from defending the life of the baby all the way through to defending and supporting and empowering the women involved. And so, we need to be able to flesh out this topic and actually know where we stand and know how to talk about it because it impacts lives around us. Um, According to the World Health Organization, there is over 75 million abortions that take place each year globally. Let that sink in. 75 million abortions take place each year around the world. Now, keep in mind, in Australia... We actually don't record abortions. There's only one state in Australia that does. The rest are not legally bound to report abortions. So that stat of over 75 million abortions taking place each year doesn't even give you an accurate idea of what we do in Australia. Not to mention Australia's laws have changed within the last five to ten years um, and each state has its own legislation around abortion and and what that looks like and so I'm going to address that later on in the episode but this is something that depending on what state you're in has different complication um, implications for your society and for your state Um, and the reality is that we have no idea how many abortions are taking place each year in Australia there are a whole lot of different um, estimations that are thrown out there I'm not even going to bother with that because they're all estimations but the reality is this is happening daily in, in our states, in our local communities, and we need to be aware of that. Um, and lastly, I think we should be addressing this issue because, like I said before, we stand up for all the lives of humans um, in, a, in this world because they're all made in the image of God. 
both the unborn child and the woman are made in the image of God and all and both of those parties have value and purpose and they and they and they are here to give God the glory and so we want to be able to share the gospel with them and um and if we can talk about this com- com- like this issue and if we can be involved with organizations that support women then we have more of an opportunity to also share the gospel and to really impact um, our culture and our world and even just our local community for the greater good of God so i think it's really important we talk about it now point number 2 what does the bible have to say on it before we go into what the bible has to say on it i really want to emphasize this point as Christians, I believe it's vitally important that we grasp the authority of Scripture um, and arrive to the fact that Scripture is infallible. We need to agree that the Bible is God's standard for His people and for the way they live, and that it's good, that it's a good thing, that Scripture actually speaks life and it gives God the glory He so deserves. Scripture needs to be our standard for living. Because the reality is God is bigger, he is wiser, and he knows what is best for us, his people. So if you're someone that's listening that doesn't believe the Bible to be God's truth and that it's infallible, if you don't believe that God is bigger, wiser, and knows what's best for us according to his word that he has spoken for us, then naturally that means you're going to look to culture and the world for our answers. It means And look, even for us that believe that Scripture is infallible and is God's standard and is the best place to go to, it holds authority, we all fall into the trap of of being led more by our emotions to define truth rather than God. But you can see that when you don't hold the same view of Scripture, you would be more inclined to allow your emotions and your experiences to define truth. Then that leads to society defining even more truth for us and being against the word of God. God's word is unchanging and it's everlasting truth. And in a society that is um, (laughs) postmodernism, which we did an entire episode about how postmodernism sucks, um, where, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Actually, you know, it's so incredible that we as Christians can say, no, I've got the word of God and that is the ultimate authority and it, and it speaks truth. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should be bold in that. You know, all the arguments for, for moral and ethical um, principles around abortion, in the end, if you are not a believer in Christ and if you don't believe in the word of God, where do you get your morals from? Where do you get your ethics from? So this is a really big philosophical question in the abortion debate. And as Christians, we have something to stand on that is concrete, that doesn't change, and that is everlasting, and that actually speaks truth into this situation. It's it's logical as well. And so I want to make sure that before I go into this scripture part of it, that we don't try and change the Word of God to fit our needs um, and rather we lay down our expectations and desires and to um, have our argument validated and we rather look to the word of God to see what the actual truth is about human life and dignity and God's plans for us. And what we do in doing so is that we desire to please God and walk humbly in his ways. And so if you're struggling with what, I, with what I just said, I would urge you to um, maybe stop, 
prayerfully consider going to find a mature Christian in your local community, maybe a church or um, online or whatever, if you're someone that's struggling with the whole um, scripture is infallible or is the stand of God and, and has authority, then you know I'm happy for you to reach out to me and we can have a little bit of chat and I can maybe tee up someone in your local community. I don't know. I don't want to make any promises. I can't. But I would definitely say um, – if you're someone struggling with that, it's it's a worthy study to go in and have a look. Can I trust the word of God? Has it stood the test of time? And what are the complications and implications if I don't believe that? Now, does do I think the Bible has explicit answers for every single aspect of our life? No, I don't. It's not going to tell me what house to buy. And it doesn't actually say the word abortion in it. Ooh, no surprise there. Um, but what I know is that the Bible, it gives us principles and wisdom to make decisions that align with the Father's heart for our everyday. And, and, and in regards to abortion, I believe personally that it makes it very clear where we should stand as believers. So let's, let's get stuck in. So what does Scripture say about it? Um, I'm going to make the assumption that if you're listening to this, you're a Christian. Uh, I apologize if you're not, but this is for Christians, so I'm going to assume that everyone listening is. And that means, regardless of our views on theology and maybe like, you know, around creation, is it old earth, new earth, blah, 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 blah. We can all agree that God created us. I think in order to be a Christian, we need to agree that God created us. He designed us all in the image of him, Genesis 1.27, Genesis 5.1, Genesis 9.6, even James 3.9. Every single one of us were made in his image. We are image bearers. We weren't created by accident, by flaming balls of gas. Um, We believe that God designed the heavens and the earth and everything that they contain all for his glory so that we may know him and bear his name. If we don't believe that then, I'm not sure we're probably falling into that Christian camp. (laughs) Um, I don't want to get into that argument, but I would say I would hope that everyone that's a Christian that is listening agrees that we are created by God and we are image bearers for him. So we agree in accordance to John 1.3 that through him, that is Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. We have been made for a purpose. And without going into a deep dive, which I would recommend anyone that's struggling with what I'm saying, definitely go and do a big study into like um, why God created man and what he has to say about human life and purpose and giving him glory. Um but we know in Scripture that all people have been created for the following purposes. And let's, let's just giving it, like I said, a quick summary. We have been created to take dominion over the animals and the land, and for some that will include having children. So when in Genesis it says, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Um, and I know there's different interpretations of that, but again, we're looking at it at a glance. <laughs> um, we know we also have been created to worship God and praise Him in the good and the bad in everything we do, Romans 12, 1 and 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And so how do we give God the glory in all that we do while taking dominion over animals and land um, and being fruitful and multiplying? How do we do this? We do so by obeying God's commands and the law He has written on our hearts. And so Ecclesiastes 12.13, I think, wraps this up kind of beautifully. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man and confirmed. 
hold you to your man. And this is confirmed again in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own position, possession, sorry, who are zealous for good works. So when Christ came as the perfect atonement for us, he also gave us the Holy Spirit. And we're now led by the Spirit. And as part of that process that took place, we have the law of God written on our hearts. And how do we glorify him? We glorify him by obeying him and his commands. And now I would say most of us would agree and acknowledge regardless of where you stand on God's mosaic law in today's society and whether you think, um, I know there's a different varying views of that in regards to covenant theology, theonomy, that sort of stuff. But regardless of where you sit on that, I think we can all agree that thou shall not murder as listed in the Ten Commandments still stands today. We know that it is wrong to murder. We know that it's wrong to take life. And we see that Jesus even expounds on it in Matthew 5. God gave us the law for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons he gave us the law and one of the reasons why we should obey his law that is written on our hearts is that it highlights the value of life and it also shows us what a fair and just society looks like. God gave the Mosaic covenant and law to Moses and the nation of Israel because he wanted to show them what it looks like to value life Um, to give him glory and what justice looked like. And so we struggle with that now when we read the old law. Um, And like I said, I don't want to go diving into all that sort of stuff. That's another conversation for another day. But I think we can, at um, at some point in those Ten Commandments, we can look at thou shall not murder and agree that that is a good law that we should still be holding to and obeying. Now, knowing these things that we're created in his image for his glory, that we need to um, take dominion over the earth, to look after the environment, to um, obey God's commandments. That kind of goes without saying then that all humans have value and purpose in our mission to be on the earth. And for me personally, in regards to this debate on abortion, that means We shouldn't be the judge of whether someone has value based on their developmental age and stage. So if we then take a step back and we start playing God and start ordaining when life has value or purpose or that maybe this person's life because of their developmental age or mental comprehension or ability to communicate or whatever, whatever, we may deem as a lesser value, then that means human atrocities will start to take place. And we see that all throughout history. You know, we look at the Holocaust. We've got modern day human trafficking. Slavery still happens today. Sexual assault and other hideous crimes. These are all things that happen because someone has viewed someone with less value and purpose. And as Christians, that is not how we are to operate. And so this discussion about abortion leads down that path. We ultimately, if we are saying abortion is okay, 
we are saying that the, the human life that is in the womb at that time has less value because of its developmental age. And I'm going to go into, is it human life? Those sort of like um, questions that come up um, a little bit in a, in a second in this episode. But just keep it in mind that biblically, we do not have a right to say, because someone is not fully developed, that they have less value. And so I want to read out to you um, Psalm 139, just a few verses, because it's a very long one. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would would outnumber the grains of the sand. We can see here that God has valued life even in the womb, that you are a human being, that every single, um, all the days ordained for you were written in the book before one of them came to be. That includes the days that you were in the womb. God values you and has a purpose set out for you. And so we need to honour that. If that if this psalm is relevant to us, then it is relevant to every single image bearer in this world. There's also another aspect biblically I want to discuss and then, then we'll move on to the next topic. That Psalm 127 says that children are a blessing and inheritance. We need to be really careful going into this conversation because we as Christians can say, I know um, humans have value, purpose, life, etc. God's ordained us to be on here for this purpose. But also another part of the cultural shift I have been finding, particularly because of feminism as well, not purely because of that, but a large for a large part because of that, is this view that children are a burden or that they're, um, they think that they're going to ruin their life. And the scripture just speaks completely opposite of that you know all throughout scripture we see Jesus is just celebrating the family unit there is something really beautiful about that and I just want to be really aware that when we go into this do we have the right heart attitude towards what raising children looks like do we have the right attitude towards childbearing Um, and I know for some of you listening that may have struggles with fertility or whatever it would be really hard to hear some people that are thinking oh kids are such a burden oh I would do anything to have a kid you know and so the the scripture highlights what a blessing children are and so I want to make sure that we're going into this argument as well with the right view and opinion of of how God sees children and how they benefit our lives, and how they refine us and edify us. And I'm not saying it's easy all the time, trust me. Um, but it's a beautiful experience, and we should be so thankful for every, like any any one of us that gets to experience that. And so I just want to keep that at the forefront of our mind as well, that scripturally we know children are a blessing, and that we should be celebrating children and not... Um, being fearful or um, reasoning with a world that says children are a burden. So um, even with all that biblical reasoning, it's really important to note that you actually still don't need a faith basis to be pro-choice, if you want to say. Um, You know, (laughs) you actually don't need to bring up the Bible at all to make really logical, moral, uh, 
sensical um, points to win this argument. Um, I find, to be honest, I'm yet to hear an argument pro-choice that I haven't been able to conquer with just common logic and asking the right questions. And so as we go into the debate and some of the common objections, I want you to remember that it's a really emotional um, conversation to have. If you're someone that doesn't enjoy confrontation, it's going to be really tricky for you to participate. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable and you might be prone to either just shut off or to get really passionate which is probably more me, um, and emotional and then say things that are inconsiderate of others. And so I just want to kind of highlight for you that if you are going to enter into these topics, just remember that when it gets tricky, when someone gets really emotional and might yell at you or um, accuse you of being a bully or might start using really um, inflamed terminology to label you, just, just stop for a second, take a breath and just think logically. Just stop and think logically. Pray, obviously, for help because God will give us wisdom and really, really will direct us in those conversations. I truly believe that. But just stop. You don't always have to have the answer. And think of questions you can ask them. If you're a little bit stuck, think of questions. Well, what, what would you do if you were in that position? What if it was this? What could I change the scenario a little bit? You know, and start getting people to think because you'll find that often it's really easy to undo someone's argument if you just ask the question or if you come at them with um, a peaceful, respectful tone because often, like I said, it can be quite inflamed and passionate and um, sometimes it's best to just diffuse that by either pausing for a moment or just coming at them with grace um, or with questions so that they can just kind of reflect. So let's get stuck in. What is Roe versus Wade? Roe versus Wade um, happened in 1973 and it was when the US Supreme Court ruled in favour to legalise abortion across all the states and um, decriminalize it. So that way it meant that it wasn't illegal to receive an abortion in the first trimester. And so then each state obviously changed their own laws around that, but it it just changed that process. Now you will see in the media, um, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is so great. You know, there's four white men making a decision about overturning Roe versus Wade. But the reality is it was seven white men that made the decision for Roe versus Wade back in the day. So (laughs) just keep that in mind um, as you see that argument. That is a really silly argument and I would dare say people are sharing things without having done their research. So abortion is now legal up until birth um, for most states in Australia and every country has its own laws and um, standards for this legislation around this. But just to give you a brief overview of Australia's Australia's laws, so it's it is legal to have an abortion in every single state of Australia. So you wouldn't ever get charged for having an abortion in every single state of Australia. Each state, though, has its own unique legislation and it varies, right, from state to state. So um, Western Australia, Northern Territory and South Australia are the only states that stop abortion or um, make it tricky to have an abortion after WA is 20 weeks, um, Northern Territory is 22 weeks and South Australia is 23 weeks. Um, The remainder of the states, so New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania, Victoria and ACT, they all have abortion um, as an option up to full term as long as it's approved by two medical professionals um, and it has to be based on whether it's a risk to the baby or the mother's health. 
Now, some of you might think, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, medical professionals. But we have what I personally have actually heard of terminations taking place because a woman has just spoken to a medical professional and said, I'm really not struggling. I have really high anxiety and I just need to terminate the birth. And it's happened quite late on. Um, So you can see that there's a bit of a gray area then. Um, And each state has a different law in regards to um, conscientious, conscientious objectors within the medical world. So um, I think in New South Wales and Victoria, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to quote me actually on that, but um, some states say that if you're a medical professional and you um, are against abortion, you legally can decline the patient, and but you have to refer them on to someone that you think would be um, more objective and would help them. So that are, there is that rule in place for, say, Christian professionals or professionals that are ethically um, against abortion. Uh, but like I said, New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania, Victoria and ACT all have that abortion option up until full term. And so that means you can be about to deliver, you have a heart, heart change, change of mind, and I don't think it would be easy, um, but if you can persuade two medical professionals, you can get a termination. Um, this is the harsh reality. And so, like I said, um, you can imagine how emotionally heated this becomes when we start talking about full-term babies. Um, but again, we need to think, stop, think logically. Hey, a full-term baby had the same value as at conception. So when so here's some of the arguments and here's my thoughts on, on how you can refute them or uh, come at them at a pro-life, I guess, um, place. So they aren't even human yet or um, – where, or the question is, when does life begin? Because this is this is a big one in the debate. So it is, without doubt, a scientific assertion that life starts at fertilisation. You can look at your science journals everywhere. Life starts at fertilisation. And the reason being is because the DNA is established then. Your genetic blueprint happens then. So everything from like what your gender will be, to your hair colour, to your eyes, everything like that. All that is established at fertilisation. So in the scientific community, that is when they say life begins. So it begs the question, why are we even tossing up and debating? Because you'll hear some people say, oh, it's when the heart beats or when um, when they get hands or when they get a, you know a brain that's functioning. The reality is... <laughs> Life starts at fertilization, so it becomes a moral and ethical question. This is a philosophical question when life begins, because by the scientific world, it starts at fertilization. And just to emphasize the heartbeat thing that I just mentioned before, they say that three weeks post conception, so you might hear six weeks, but it's post conception, so that fertilization process, the heart beats three weeks. And some research has even shown that some have started just two weeks after fertilization. So this whole, um, and which realistically is, you know, they say five weeks. And just to give some clarity here, because some people might be like, why is she saying five weeks? Well, then she's saying three weeks or two weeks. Women will have their cycle. They'll have a missed period and they'll go, oh, it's been 35, 40 days. Now, during that period of your um, cycle to when you had your missed cycle, ovulation doesn't normally start 
anywhere from five to 10, 15 days after your your last period. And so that period, you're not actually pregnant, but they count that as part of the pregnancy term. So just in case you're getting a little bit lost there on all the whole week. So, so we're saying um, you ovulate, you um, become pregnant, the, the baby is fertilized, like so that the, um, the fertilization process starts. And so within as early as two weeks, the heart will start. That's wild. So if you're someone that holds two life starts at two, um, when the heart beats, and you're talking about a two-week-old fertilized little baby. That's what we're talking about. And so from then on in, based on that argument, abortion shouldn't happen from two weeks onwards. And I can guarantee you 90% of the women wouldn't even know they're pregnant at two weeks. Now, I want to also emphasize something about this when life begins and are they human yet. You will notice a lot of the pro-choice movements um, and a lot of the media just in general will use the terminology like it's an embryo or it's the fetus. This is a very distinct use of the language because it, it... it desensitizes us to human life. And so you will hear in the pro-life, the other side of the argument, a lot of people say pre-born or um, it, it's a, it's a, we'll just be calling it a baby. And so in case you're getting confused, we're all referring to the same thing. <laughs> we just are having different terminology to emphasize our points um, of contention and our arguments. So like I said before, there is within the science realm, there is just no argument that from conception they are a whole living embryo, a living organism. And the only difference is the development. So it's just scientifically it's not up for for debate. What is up for debate is the ethical or philosophical issue around abortion. Um, And so I want to emphasize if we believe that human life starts at conception – then that just means they're still a human, which I believe they are, if they're just not fully developed. And now if we start saying that development gives us value, then that's really scary territory to tread into because then that means my one-year-old little baby boy that is not fully developed yet has less value than my four-year-old boy that is speaking and running around and is a little bit more independent. I mean, you can see here how this is a, a, a very dangerous um, area to go into. So, so like I said, just to, just to remember, if someone comes at you and says, well, they're not a human yet, well, actually, no, they are. In the scientific realm, human life starts at fertilization and we can have a heartbeat as little as two weeks post-fertilization. And so that debate immediately is kind of squashed or quietened and then and then you can say to someone but I will give it to you now we're talking at an ethical or moral or philosophical um, issue when do you think life has value and so that's when you have the opportunity to ask them what gives life value is it development is it the fact that they can communicate what is it and so you can have that discussion with someone and push back what gives someone value and purpose Okay, one of the other big um, (laughs) arguments you'll hear, my body, my choice, you'll see that on the signs and you'll see that in social media everywhere. Um, This to me is a really easy argument to squash. It's as simple as, yep, cool, it's your body, your choice. What about the baby that's in your body? There's two bodies at play here. That is not another part of your body. It's not a limb that's growing off you. It's (laughs) It's not an organ. It's another unique, specifically genetic blueprint DNA little 
human form that is forming and growing in your body. And so you don't have a right to decide whether that life lives or dies. And um, we naturally, I mean, one way to, again, to highlight the error in this kind of thought is that say there is a woman that is um, happy to have a baby and wants to have a baby, but she decides um, uh, it's okay. I'm still going to take methamphetamine every single day. Now, we we would we would be um, intervening and and as a society and different organisations, the government itself would be intervening and saying you need to stop taking drugs. We'd be concerned at at, at the um, baby's health. We'd be concerned at the risk of the baby, um, also the mother as well. And so. As a society, we actually don't agree with my body, my choice. <laughs> we we look at pregnant women and we say you need to look after yourself. You know, there's midwives that and and um, obstetricians that come and check up on women and make sure that they're looking after themselves and their babies because um, it's not okay for women to abuse their bodies while they're pregnant because then that is a risk to the child. And so this whole my body, my choice argument doesn't even work for the rest of society and obviously if we keep on putting my body my choice as the number one argument for this then um, it can unravel very quickly and become quite extreme you have people that have mental health concerns that um, do hideous crimes and say it's because their body urged them to and they couldn't stop it that doesn't stand in the law of court they still get punished they still go to jail they still get charged so again, this whole my body, my choice, it doesn't stand in society anyway as a whole. So it doesn't, it, it's very easy to unravel in this argument. Okay, the next common objection is one that is really tricky. And again, I'm sorry I have to address this, but it is something we have to address. Um, and that is, well, the woman was a victim of rape and therefore she should be allowed to have an abortion. Like I said, I'm actually really sorry I have to address this because I find it gross, really gross, that this is used in this debate. Um, there's a few reasons for that. I will say the reality is it's less than 1% of women that get an abortion is because of an assault. Um, that stat is from the US because they're the only ones that record thoroughly um, and have to report why women get abortions. But Outside of that, it actually just makes me feel so sick that we throw around victim stories so freely in order to win a debate. It's gross. Um, we have to tread so carefully in this area. The reality is women are assaulted every single day and it's horrifyingly evil. And let me just say, if you are a woman that has experienced that, I am so deeply sorry and pained that you have had to go through that. And Christ hates it. You know, God has, he hates when innocence and when women and men are abused. It is disgusting and gross and it is not what he planned for his people. And he sees your pain in his heart and in your heart and he loves you dearly. And you are so valued and precious in his sight. And so as I talk about this topic, this particular aspect of the conversation, please know like, um, it's gross and I wish it actually wasn't brought up because it is, like I said, it is less than 1% and, and there's a lot of information to prove that abortion post-assault actually doesn't help the individual and rather it, it results in more PTSD and I'll go into that now. So um, 
in regards to abortion and assault victims, from what we know from data and statistics, again, like I said, this is all from the US because Australia doesn't keep records, so I'm really apologetic that I don't have Australian records to share with you. Um, Assault victims wanting to abort make up less than 1% of the cases. And so if you're hit with this argument, you have two options, okay? You can explore it further with the person and give them some of the stats I'm about to give you about like the long-term psychological effects of abortion post an assault. Or you can actually say to them, which my friend um, one day said, he goes, you know, with this abortion debate, when people bring this up, I just give it to them. I say to them, okay, cool. You can have that 1%. Let's talk about the 99% of cases that are for other reasons. And I was like, that's really good to know. So if you're someone that doesn't want to go into the tricky side of this, this point of the, um, the argument, then just give them the 1%. Focus on the 99% of other reasons why people get an abortion. Now, um, it's important to highlight the absolute tragic, tragedy, tragic event that takes place against women in this, in this kind of situation but a baby conceived through violence is as blameless and innocent as one that's conceived in a, lo- a loving marriage. And so there was a study, it's, it's really important to, to note that, yeah, that the baby conceived through violence is as blameless and innocent as the one conceived in a loving marriage. A study by Sandra um, McCorn found that 75 to 85% of victims were against abortion and went through with the pregnancy. And then a survey conducted by the Elliott Institute showed that, at a, that of a study of 192 women who became pregnant due to rape, 80% who chose to have an abortion later regretted aborting their child. Not all women, but many women who have been sexually assaulted and proceed with their pregnancy actually feel a heightened sense of human value post a traumatic experience like such as sexual assault. And as such, these women feel a need to nurture and raise their child to be a positive impact for society. And they have communicated that having a child has actually delivered more hope and healing from, for them um, from an otherwise devastating experience. So it's actually wrong of us to assume that pregnancy due to rape automatically means a woman will want an abortion. Are there women out there that would feel like that's better for them? Yes, there would be. But the data doesn't say it's the majority. Rather, we should come alongside these women and love them. We need to listen and support them the best way possible. And that means sitting in the uncomfortable situation of not knowing what to say sometimes or not knowing what to do. But our job is not to pressure them or force them into a corner to have to make a decision that's lifelong in a moment of heightened grief and trauma. Rather, we should be focused on getting them in the process of healing and like working through that pain before they make a decision that can actually really impact their mental health long-term. As we know through a study done by Kayleen Dingle in Queensland a little while ago, women who in abortion were twice as likely to experience significant mental health, depression and anxiety and 3.6 times more likely to abuse drugs. There was another research project done um, over in the UK published in the British Journal of Psychiatry showed that women who had an abortion had a 155% increase of suicidal behaviours, 37% increase of depression and a 31% increase in anxiety. These weren't victims of assault that were um, part of these research um, data. So can you imagine, knowing what we know about the long-term impacts of abortion for women and mental health, how much more this would be the case for the women that are victims of sexual assault. It 
further emphasizes the need for us to be so unbelievably gentle and careful with this particular point of the debate. And it also shows we shouldn't be throwing out blanket statements from either side of what is right or wrong for a woman to do who is a sexual assault victim, but rather we need to come alongside them, love them, and continue to speak truth into them so that they feel empowered. And what we know is that everyone that processes trauma differently and everyone will have a varying level of PTSD and grief to work through. And so abortion is not always the answer and we mustn't make the false assumption that that argument is warranted because if anything, the data and the research shows that that argument is actually wrong. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to link all that information in the episode notes, but please keep that in mind um, that that argument is um, has a lot more to it and we need to treat, treat it carefully but know that we can see here that there is long-term implications for women that go ahead and abort baby post um, a sexual assault. Now, illegal abortion, this is something that um, gets thrown about a little bit. I'm actually just going to read um, some information about that straight out to you. Um, this is from the Alyssa Childers po- podcast. She does an episode only recently, which is called The Six uh, Common Objections to Abortion. It's an American podcast, so um, not all of it is relevant to us. But I will say um, I have seen on social media a lot of people saying, well, if we make abortion illegal in the States, but obviously that means there could be changes in Australia um, down the track, that – Uh, there would be more illegal abortions taking place and women would die. Um, The reality is is that's really horrible, number one, that a woman would have to feel that desperate to go to an underground place with no sterile equipment, no trained professional to perform an abortion. That that actually is a really poor reflection of our society, that women would feel that that is is their only option. Um, And I think we need to really be gracious and empathetic towards women in that position. But the reality is, um, and this was from four pro-abortion sources that this guy quotes um, in the Alyssa Childers podcast. I have forgotten his name and I didn't write it down, which is really silly of me, but I'll I'll put it in the episode notes. Um, Dr. Mary Caldero, a former Planned Parenthood employee, said 90% of illegal abortions were actually performed by GPs under the radar before Roe versus Wade. So she said that the death rate was so low, it's not even worth commenting on. And that's because thanks to penicillin in the 50s, the post-abortive infection rate plummeted to nearly zero. Dr. Daniel Callahan from the Hastings Institute called the claim of five, they said the claim that's been thrown around was that there was five to 10,000 deaths a year um, from illegal abortions. He himself, who was a pro-choice advocate, um, said that is absolutely absurd. 40,000 women die per year from reproductive health concerns. He said, no way is 5 to 10K even close to a real stat. And eventually, which they address in the podcast, um, it was actually higher that that was a pro-choice argument that was made up and the media kind of bought it and just has kind of kept it going <laughs> ever since. So um, that's just to give you some, like, I guess, history and some facts behind that argument. So that is just a few of the points um, of contention or the arguments that I've seen in regards to the pro-choice, pro-life debate. There are many, many more and um, I think I will just keep on posting them in stories and maybe save a highlight area on Instagram so that way you can always go there if you want to see some more arguments for and against. There is so many great uh websites, resources, organizations out there that help you and inform you on how to speak on this topic. 
Um, Before I wrap up though, I do want to just give you some other points to consider. So you might be pro-life and listening to this, but we need to really be people that think this through long term. And so without going into the family planning, like contraception debate about whether it's biblical or not, everyone lands differently. This is a pure personal conviction. But what I would raise about this is um, if you are going to be pro-life, then you need to seriously consider what contraception you use if you use contraception and um, really do your research because some of the pills, some of the different um, forms of um, contraception, things like morning after pill as well, which I know some people do use as a form of contraception, they can be abortive um, in the way that they work. And so I think you need to really prayerfully consider where you believe uh, you land on this and then how that impacts the way you use contraception. Um, Another thing I want you to consider is how will you come alongside women and also couples that are experiencing this within your church? Um, Because the reality is, like I said at the beginning, one in four women in Australia will will go through a an abortion in their lifetime. Some of them will have several. Um, I personally know of many Christian women that have had abortions. I personally have worked with young women, um, teenagers that have come to us for help um, that are in an unplanned pregnancy and their parents, their Christian parents, some of them elders in churches and leaders in churches have booked them in for an abortion the reality is, as a church, we don't always talk about this well and it becomes a shameful act and it means that when someone's caught in that position, they feel like they can't talk to anyone or get the support they need from the very community that they should be able to go to. And so I just want to raise that as someone that has experienced and heard the stories firsthand of women that have been through that um, with beautiful godly parents that have then tried to book them in for an abortion you know it's not the end of the world if someone is in in an unplanned pregnancy unwanted pregnancy it's not it's just not the end of the world um there is so much help and support out there so much um there is wonderful organizations that do incredible work and i cannot stress enough to you um what it means for us to be people both of word and deed and so that means find organizations in your local area Um, I strongly encourage Diamond Women I might be a bit biased there Um, (laughs) but they do incredible work working with women um, and families and men um, and children that um, are impacted by an unwanted pregnancy and they offer a lot of support, both material assistance, counsellors, everything you could need. And there's other organisations around Australia that do that. And so find those organisations, find out what support is out there. And so that way, if you ever find yourself in a position where you yourself are in an unplanned pregnancy, maybe your sibling is, maybe someone you know, a good friend or someone within your church is, you can know how to come alongside them, rally, empower them, and make them see that this is not the end of the world, that children are a blessing and inheritance, and that yes, this is going to have its struggles and it's going to have its challenges but the fruit and the joy that's going to come from it I have no doubt will be there and that you are going to be committed to standing alongside them in the long term and really supporting them so that's my um, extra little thoughts for you Um, 
like I said, I feel like my brain is just so fuzzy and there's a million things I could have talked about in this episode. Um, I'm also so sick of hearing my own voice, so I do apologize for that. Uh, but if you have any further questions, if you want to um, find out more, if you need a bit of help on um, where to get more resources, you can check out the episode notes. You can reach out to me on um, on the Instagram or on the Instagram how old am I? Um, on Facebook, <laughs> on Instagram, or you can email at hertheology at gmail.com. Look, like I said, this is a, a contentious topic. Uh, I really appreciate you listening all the way through. And if you could share this with your friends and family, I would really appreciate it. Um, if you have listened and you've enjoyed this episode, hop on, leave me a review on Her Theology on whatever podcast um app you listen to it really helps the algorithm give us a five-star rating or whatever it is you want to do Um, but all those sort of things really help get her theology out there and, and into the ears of others so I hope you have a great day and I hope you feel just a little bit more empowered to talk about this conversation and um, start being engaging in it thanks